Welcome to Friendship with God. Today we start a new series for Thursdays and Fridays. You know that another ministry that we have here is the Creation and Earth History Museum. It's just outside of San Diego in Santee, California. And an exciting new part of this museum is the sight and sound theater presentation of the tabernacle. So over the next Thursdays and Fridays, during this month, we'll be studying in depth the tabernacle as God's invitation for friendship. Remember that this message and previous messages are available free for download at our website, friendshipwithgod.org. Here's Tom with today's message. Hi, I'm Tom Cantor, and I'd like to welcome you to the Creation Museum's presentation of God's Tabernacle. As you went through the first and second parts of the museum, you saw the biblical account of God's creation. You saw how man had a wonderful friendship with God, and then you saw how tragically he decided to rebel against God that not only brought death into the world, but also caused his alienation from God, and that shattered his friendship with God. But even though man was lost, God still loved him. So what did God do? He immediately set himself on a course to save and redeem man so that that lost friendship with God could be restored. But the reconciliation now has to be on God's terms. That's what the tabernacle is. It's God using symbols to make crystal clear his terms for reconciliation. So what's the tabernacle? It's God's object lesson to show man God's work of redemption. And in this tabernacle, God also wants to show how man must now come to God, how man must come to God so that the lost friendship with God can be restored. Now, down through history for thousands of years, God revealed more and more and more of how he would redeem man. And all during this time, when God was teaching man through the Jewish people to understand his redemption, all during that time, that long period of time was just like a long pregnancy of waiting and waiting and waiting for that time when God finally said, now, and then the Messiah, God the Son himself, came, known to us as the Lord Jesus Christ, and he had one goal, to go to the cross, the cross of redemption, just like it says in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5, but when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The tabernacle was how God taught and prepared his people, his Jewish people, for over a thousand years for his coming 
to be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. When Moses was on Mount Sinai, God showed him the real tabernacle that is in heaven. And Moses was instructed to build the model of it, if you will, or the replica of this tabernacle exactly as he saw it on Mount Sinai. So Moses directed the building of the tabernacle. That was over 3,000 years ago. The tabernacle is God's teaching to us today. Even though it was such a long time ago, it's still God's teaching to us today on redemption. The tabernacle was so important to God that no less than 50 chapters in the Bible are dedicated to the teaching on the tabernacle. That's astounding when you consider that only two chapters are dedicated to the great creation. Now, God introduced the tabernacle to his Jewish people at a very specific time. And when was that time? It was only after They had endured 400 long years of slavery in Egypt. God introduced the tabernacle to his Jewish people only after God brought 10 plagues on Egypt to free the people. God introduced the tabernacle only after that 10th plague when God protected the Jewish people under the shield of the blood of the Passover lamb that was painted on the doorposts of their houses. God introduced the tabernacle to the people only after God had parted the Red Sea so his people could escape on dry land. God brought the tabernacle to his Jewish people only after his people saw the Red Sea close on and drown their enemies, Pharaoh and his army. God brought the tabernacle only after God gave his people on Mount Sinai his law, which was a revelation of God's holy character. God brought the tabernacle to his Jewish people only after God saw that his people were ready to be elevated through redemption to the level of friendship with God. That friendship with God was the goal of the tabernacle. God called the tabernacle a sanctuary, and he told Moses in Exodus 25.8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. That was what God wanted for his people. It was that his presence would be there, just like he said in Exodus 29.45, and I will dwell among the children of Israel and will be their God. The tabernacle was where God dwelt among his people. The tabernacle was one giant invitation from God, whereas we approach to learn about the tabernacle, we can still hear the Lord Jesus Christ saying to us what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, when he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, 
for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Every part of the tabernacle represents some aspect of the Lord Jesus Christ. In one part of the tabernacle, it's speaking of his purity. Another part of the tabernacle is speaking of his royalty. Another part is speaking of his deity. Another part is speaking of his humanity. This part here is speaking of his dedication to the work of redemption. And this part over here is speaking of his actual work of redemption, where he first became our sin bearer and then was sacrificed for our sins. You can't look at the tabernacle without seeing the many aspects of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You look at the tabernacle, you're like looking at a diamond. As you turn it this way, you see an aspect of beauty. And then you move that diamond and you see a new, wonderful, beautiful flash of beauty. What is it? It's the beauty, the different aspects of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could not have a greater goal in studying the tabernacle than to the end of our study to be able to say, now I know who the Lord Jesus Christ is and what he did to bring me into friendship with God. And I have come into the friendship with God. What a goal. That should be our goal as we study the tabernacle. Now, where do you start with the tabernacle? Because when you look at typical teaching on the tabernacle, you know where it starts? Typical teaching on the tabernacle always starts where you find man, on the outside of the tabernacle. And man is trying to come in. He's trying to approach God. So teaching on the tabernacle typically starts from the outside, from outside the gate. When you're approaching the gate and you're coming into the outer court, then you're going into the first room called the holy place, and then into the inner room called the holy of holies where God was. But the reason that the teaching on the tabernacle typically starts from that direction of outside the tabernacle, because that's where man is. And that's tracing the direction of man approaching God. But did you know that the Bible's description of the tabernacle does not follow that typical direction? The Bible describes the tabernacle in exactly the opposite direction. In Exodus 25, when God begins his description of the tabernacle to Moses, he starts from where God is from where God dwelt over the ark in the inner room of the Holy of Holies. And then he describes the next room moving out from there into the holy place. And then he describes the outer court. And finally, he describes the gate where man is that he's going to come through. That's so very significant. Why does the Bible teach the tabernacle in exactly the opposite direction of from the inner to the outer as opposed to how we would naturally teach the tabernacle from the outer to the inner. The reason is very significant because it teaches us a fundamental truth. 
Man tries and tries and tries his best to reach God. And he's devised many different religions to try and try and try and reach God. Here's this religion over here, and it teaches you have to do good works, mitzvahot. And you have to keep the traditions that have been handed down through the millennia, an oral law. And you have to keep the law, the Torah. And that's this religion of man seeking God. Here's another religion that teaches that man must meditate. And this is a religion here where man is also trying to seek to reach God. Then there's another religion. It teaches that man must observe strict dietary laws. He shouldn't mix meat with dairy. Another religion teaches blood must be removed from animals in a certain way. Another religion teaches that man must not eat pork. And what are all those? All failed religions of man from the outside of the tabernacle trying and seeking to reach God on the inside. All of those religions, they're all man-made. They all share the characteristic, man in his feeble attempt trying to reach God. Those religions are like starting to teach the tabernacle from where man is trying to reach God. But the reason God describes the tabernacle as he does in the Bible is because the truth is that man finds God Not because man tries to find God, but because God reached out from heaven to man. That's the meaning of the reverse order of the teaching in the Bible. It was God. It was not lost man who made the initiative and reached out. God's first words to man after the fall in the Garden of Eden were in Genesis 3.9. Where art thou? Which is the same as when the Lord Jesus Christ described his mission of leaving heaven, bound for earth. And here he is on earth, and he's describing why he came in Luke 19.10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, we start from Exodus 25, therefore, in the place where God starts the tabernacle, the place where he is, the most inner room of the tabernacle. This is the place that God has chosen to meet with and speak with man. This room, what's the name of this room? The Holy of Holies. Why is it called the Holy of Holies? Because holy describes the essential character of Adonai, the Lord Jesus Christ. What does holy mean? We get our word clean from the word holy. Holiness is a state of cleanness, or it's the absence of sin, the defiling sin, the sin that makes you dirty, all sin does. And where there is holiness, there is rightness. Everything is right or righteous. Where there is righteousness, there's harmony. And that special state of rightness or harmony is called in the Bible shalom. 
which we translate as peace. Shalom is found where there is holiness. Shalom is found where there is rightness or righteousness. The state of shalom is found in the holy of holies. And inside this holy of holies, there was one piece of furniture. What was it called? The ark. The ark was found in the Holy of Holies. What was the ark? It was a chest. It was a chest made of a very strong wood. It's called in the Bible shittim wood or acacia wood. It was completely overlaid with gold from the inside to the outside. And this strong wood speaks of the strong endurance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Like what says about him in Hebrews 12, 2 through 3. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured, like that strong wood, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself. Now, the gold on that chest, on that ark, speaks of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that he is God the Son. The gold throughout the tabernacle was a constant reminder that the person who redeemed us, the person who bore our sins, was nonetheless than God himself who became a man. God who humbled himself to become a man to bear our sins. And the gold in the tabernacle reminds us it was God who condescended to become a man, to become our sin bearer. Now, over the ark was the ark cover. And over the ark cover on the two ends were two cherubim guardian angels. These angels had their faces looking toward each other, with their protecting wings spread out over the ark cover. And the ark cover over the ark and under the protecting wings, that was the place God chose to meet with man. God said, that's, that's the place right there, right over the ark, over the ark cover, under the protecting wings of the cherubim angels, that's where I'll meet with man. That was God's prescription for where he wanted to meet with man. And it was over that ark cover, under those angels' wings, that the voice of God spoke to the high priest. Those two guardian cherubim with their protecting wings spread over that place. It teaches us something. It teaches us the special interest that God has to be friends with us and to meet together. Those cherubim angels teach us how much the Lord Jesus Christ wants to meet with each one of us, his followers, every day, in the morning, in the personal quiet time, in the devotional time with God. And even though it is for us very tempting to skip or cut short, or tomorrow will be just as good. 
our morning time with God, one look at those angels, and it reminds us, oh no, that's so very important to God. Whenever God had a special interest to protect, we see those protecting cherubim angels in the Bible. The cherubim are God's crack team. So the fact that we find these protecting cherubim over the ark shows us just how important it is to God for us to meet with the Lord Jesus Christ every morning. Those guardian cherubim over the ark teach us that if we make the effort to keep that morning time appointment with God as the first priority of every one of our days, that God will make sure that the time and the place of that important meeting, of that appointment, of our devotions, that time, that place will be protected from disturbance. And those cherubim angels help us to remember that God is interested in protecting our daily meeting with him. Those angels are referred to in Hebrews 1.14 where it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation? Now, when the ark was first constructed, it contained only the Ten Commandments, or the two tables of stone. That's the law of God. That represents the law of God. That law in the ark is a description of the righteous character of God. It tells us who God is. And as sinners, that law is also something else. Unfortunately, that law also condemns us. Each time we see the law, each time we see the thou shalt not, each time we see, as it is in Hebrew, no, 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 low, 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 we can hear the law pointing the finger at us, condemning each one of us, and we hear that law demanding our judgment. That law is the order for our execution. That's the orders for our execution. That's not a good news for us. And once a year, on the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, the high priest went into the Holy of Holies with the blood of a slain animal, and the first thing he did, he applied that blood on the four horns, the four corners of the ark. This was a great drama. There was great drama each year when the high priest did this. The high priest entered into the Holy of Holies once a year. Great drama. It was a time when the Jewish people held their breath outside to found I, to, to, to try to know, to find out, has the sacrifice been accepted? Has God forgiven our sins? Tom, that was an interesting thought of the difference between how we would naturally describe the tabernacle as from man to God versus the way the tabernacle is described in the Bible as from God to man. Is there a scripture that supports that same thought of God to man? Well, yes. In fact, I would say it's the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, if you just stand back from that verse and just break it down and you look at it, you see that it's God who's the subject here and making the initiative. 
It says, God so loved the world. God was the one who loved the world. God gave his only begotten son. God was the one who gave his only begotten son. And what happens to us, it's almost, it's almost as if a, the, the great gift or the blessing comes on off when it says, whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's not man that so loved the world that he pulled God down. It's not man that went up to heaven to bring the Lord Jesus Christ down. It was God who loved the world and who sent his son into the world. And this is so hard for us to understand because naturally we think that we are the initiative, that we are the one who takes the responsibility for our salvation. But in reality, it's God who made the initiative. It's God who took the first step and came from heaven to earth. That's what makes the gospel so wonderful. We respond to what God has done. God has given his invitation. God has extended his hand. We simply believe into him, and therefore we receive eternal life, everlasting life, and we avoid perishing. Thanks be to God who took the step from heaven to earth to save us from our sins. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the start of our new Thursday and Friday series on The Tabernacle. And we hope for those of you who are located near San Diego, California, can come out and visit our opening of The Tabernacle exhibit at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. This will be on Museum Day, Saturday, September 29th. And there you'll be able to meet Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God radio program, as well as other great guest speakers like Ray Comfort. And you'll also be able to see the light and sound display of the Tabernacle exhibit. So call us at 1-800-247-3051 and we can give you more information about the Tabernacle exhibit opening at the Creation Earth History Museum. Join us again tomorrow as Tom Cantor continues studying and teaching the Tabernacle.